issues. And today, we're going to talk about performance issues in a way that um, it's the negative side of performance, stuff you don't want to have happen, and then giving you performance insights on what to do about it. And the, the theme for the day is fight back. Uh, women Against Violence, uh, my guest today is... Gosh, I have to say colleague and friend. Uh, I love her to death. She's just a, a dynamic individual, both professionally and personally. Um, and she's constantly bringing the subtitle to our show today, which is Positive Expectations to everything that she does, and especially with the causes that she's aligning herself with uh, for both uh, professional and personal reason. And we're going to talk to Carrie Potts in just a second. But before we do that, we're going to go through some of our opening uh, salvo of information and you know, Sunday. Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And it's going to be against two teams that I have some personal interest in because I've got a guy on the Buccaneers and I got a guy on the Kansas City Chiefs. So the question I get asked all the time is who's going to win? Who do you want to win? I really don't care. I care about competition. I want them to have the character as the um, Bill Pe Belichick quote we had this on Monday, this is our mindset moment, he said that talent sets the floor, which it does, that's how they got there, but the character sets the ceiling. And those with the greatest amount of character that can persevere through the obstacles and adjust and adapt, their resilience, will more than likely be the Super Bowl champions. And I think Belichick's had a few of those, if I'm not mistaken. So with that being said, preparing for the ultimate competitive event like the Super Bowl, I ask people, why do you do that? And what do you expect to get out of it? And interestingly enough, those who don't participate in the Super Bowl tend to save money, but the players, those who are on the sidelines, actively involved in getting ready and preparing and competing, it's about the competition. It's about the preparation. It's about getting it done, which is why I always have this wonderful quote from uh, Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do so that excellence then, it's not an act. It's a habit. You get what you think about, whether it's positive or negative. Well, positive is all around this guy. Where he, has, he wouldn't have gotten where he's gotten in the 40-plus years he's been on this planet. And that's number 12, uh, Mr. Brady. And I'm, I kind of ask myself, is he a record maker? And is this weekend another record? And he's 40 what? Well, he's 40-something. But win or lose, Tom Brady's going to be in the top of records on the top of his game, the fact that he's still competing at this level is huge. But right behind him is definitely number 15, but he's going to try to make a connection with number 87. That's Kelsey. And that could be the offensive punch that could take, take Brady down because we've seen that the Buccaneers have had difficulty offensively. Now, Brady tends to overcome that but along with his teammates, but they don't always click right away. Well, Mahomes and number 87, Kelsey, they tend to do that. So my expectations is... The defense will win the game this weekend. It's going to be a close game. And the future is, regretful for some, Super Bowl number two is going to come into the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, you heard it here right now. KUHS Denver streaming live. My prediction, Kansas City Chiefs will win on Sunday. Well, number 58 has something to say about that. And I know him more than just casually as a, as a friend and as a player. Uh, that's Shaq Barrett. And as you can see by his... Practice movement there, getting warmed up and loosened up. I call it the dance. <laughs> Number 58 in the dance. So let's dance is what he's going to say. He had three sacks that got him and his teammates here last time they, they played for a, a playoff game. That was pretty impressive. I kind of gave him, I kidded him a little bit about how quick can a little guy like you move and keep that up. Well, he says, I got some help because some double teams on the front line uh, from the Dominican Sioux 
tends to occupy another offensive lineman and gives Shaq a chance to uh, make his moves. The issue then is who on that defensive squad for the Buccaneers will follow Shaq's lead? See what I did there? Let's dance, lead. Okay, just, just pointing it out. My humor is not always obvious to everybody. So with that being said, let's continue with the truth be told about what's going on in our world around and outside of football. The vaccines are coming. For many of us, they're here. Numbers as of yesterday that I heard that things are turning the corner and literally, and this is a real thing, not imagine, not a phrase that said artificially. It's real. They are turning a corner. We have actually more vaccines going into arms than the cases being discovered. That's huge. Love that. But continue to follow the science. That's the key. I mention that quite often here. And why, you know, why do I mention that when I'm talking about performance? Because the science is the, the simplest but most original form of performance. It's cellular. It's organic. Follow the science. Make it real. So that you can be as resilient as the Pillsbury Doughboy. You remember? When you poke him, what does he do? He giggles when it bounces back. Have that positive expectation. Well, the question then becomes for me, how long will this last? Mask up. Just like the head coach, the HC for the Buccaneers, their style there, people. Got the driving hat, got the red reflective glasses on, and that mask, that is a picture of portrait mask work. I love it. As I said earlier, we are here at KUHS Denver every Friday, 11 o'clock, streaming live to you about performance issues making it happen to give you what is important for us to share about performance issues. Well, there you have it. We've given you the intro. We hope you have a great day with that. But the real meat of the show today is about Carrie Potts. Carrie, good day to you. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm, I mean, I'm going I'm to bring it up because we talked about it off air. Um, you're styling, girl. I'm telling you right now. I like the scene. I like the framing. You're doing a great job. It's awesome. It's good. You can't see my yoga pants, right? Yeah, you, no, I can't. And okay, I'm not even going to tell you what's below the, the table here for me. So just leave it alone. I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> um, but that being said, I want to just briefly go through the touch points with you and your career. Um, you love sports. You're a college athlete. Uh, Division One school. Uh, and by the way, I just have to say, nobody looks good in orange. Okay? I'm just it, They just don't. Okay. It brought out my eyes. <laughs> no, I really, it gave me a little glow. It was a good color. You were an orange person. It's changed. Yeah. It's not an orange man. It's an orange person. Orange person. But I was an orange woman at the time. Okay, good. I like I like that. I, I like yeah. that. And that, that is uh, up there on the East Coast um, with... <laughs> Uh, your, your volleyball player uh, in college went on from there to. Did you join ESPN right after that? No, I finished my master's at Nike. Okay. Um, in Oregon, and I was there for about four months, and then I got my first job at the NCAA to Indianapolis, and I was there three and a half years before going to ESPN. Gosh, and I, I did, I did, had no idea that you had that talent as well—a bureaucracy maven. You are. I, I bet everywhere I work has to have four letters. Man, give those two. NCAA, ESPN, and then I was at IWPR, so that's that's a, that's, that's uh, impressive. And yeah. it's not even intentional, but maybe it is. I don't know. Well, I'm going to use it now. I, I don't keep, keep branding that out there. So, but now it's a, you, you, throughout your career, even with all the four letters, throughout your career, you've been sensitive to 
the woman's role in society as well as sports, and you've taken it even more into a focus these days with both your education and your experience. So give me an idea. You're, you're sitting on a board. What's the board you sit on now? Oh, on NBNDC, so it's uh, Network for Victim Recovery in, in D.C., here in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I'm also, um, I'm also the president of Pathways to Safety International, which helps Americans sexually assaulted or abused overseas. And then so, your company, the, the thing that you're most proud of is called what? A Fight Back Woman. I love that. Because, you know, yeah. people, I'm just going to tell you right now, that fits her. Yeah. It fits her really well in a lot of different ways. We don't have time to slice through all of them. But just as a character, I want her on my team. That's the bottom line. Just, just telling you right now. I want I want Carrie Potts on my team. Whatever I'm playing. Chess, checkers. Smart moves. Yes. Smart moves. Yeah. It's, you're there for me. Okay. So... Today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about violence, eliminating violence, and I want to make sure I'm clear with everybody out there. Eliminating violence is different than eliminating conflict um, or eliminating aggressive behavior. Eliminating violence—that's where hurt comes in. That's where disregard for the person on the other side comes in, and regretfully. Um, and, and I, as a father, have had to experience this and guide my daughter through it. Um, it ain't fun. And if you haven't ever been a part of it, and I hope you're not, as a woman in particular, or even as a parent dealing with your daughter, you haven't, don't have to deal with it. And that's why it motivates me to have somebody like Carrie on the show with me to talk about the strategies on dealing with that violent performance and the strategies on how to counteract Use performance to prepare for or deal with that uh, that performance. So that's our setup for today. Um, so tell me about what is what are some of the first things women of any age, actually girls too, for that matter, because maybe it starts there in the playground. What do they need to be aware of, Carrie, to handle the onslaught when it may occur of a violent behavior from a man? Oh boy! I mean, we've been conditioned from a very young age to expect that we will be dealt with violently at some point. So it's, you have to understand it's already a foregone conclusion. And most of us, when it does, it, it, it shows up, you know, right in front of us. We've been expecting it. And the tendency is to say, Oh my gosh, this is actually the thing they've been telling me about my whole life. But here it is. And for me, when I was attacked, because I was assaulted in 2008 by somebody who was trying to rape me um, and, and lock me into a room, um, you know, when you talk about performance, I had learned through sports how to push through things physically and mentally when my body didn't think it could do it. Physically, when my brain didn't think it could do it. Um, and I had been conditioned since a young age as a woman, as a girl, put in men's spaces because I was an exceptional athlete from a very young age. I was used to men not being receptive to that. So kind of, you talk about conflict. Now, that there's actually a healthy element to that. It taught me how to navigate the male space how to deal with, you know, recognize the signs of we don't like that you're here. <laughs> um, the violence is when it's, violence is about, there's nothing productive about violence. 
and violence is just for suffering to cause suffer suffering and harm so um you know for women to, to say to women how do you how do you stop violence i think we all have to accept that we've been making sure women accept that it's part of their life that it's inevitable it appears in all sorts of ways throughout the entirety of their existence um and we should recognize that one particularly intense violent act um does not mean that there's all these little ones that lead up to that um that we deal with every day and you know so i would like to first say to women like or to anyone not women everyone that violence is an underpinning of the women's experience and the experience of girls and women, not just in the U.S., but in the world. And I even contend, um, you know, I took a job at Institute for Women's Policy Research, of, you know, back in the summer. Uh, they do work on women's policy and economic policy. And one of the questions I was asked was, you know, well, I know you do a lot of gender based violence work. We don't do a ton of that work. We can talk more about, uh, you know, impacts of um, you know, race and ethnicity, uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, and that's one expression of sexual violence. And I said, I, I'm sorry, but I actually think gender-based violence is the underpinning of economic inequality. Okay, so, so women's fear um, of maybe not engaging in certain careers because of physical unsafety or having to be somewhere that they're not safe impacts their ability to earn money. Being in environments that are male-dominated, that are hostile to women, their contributions, where their contributions aren't welcome, that impacts women's ability to earn money. There is an inherent violence in that because the lack of earning power then translates into the lack of purchasing power, a lack of being able to buy a home that maybe is in a place that you feel safe. Um, buying things for your home that make you feel safe. Um, it influences every aspect of how you exist and engage in the world. So to your original question is to first understand that violence isn't one act, it's a continuum. It starts very young, and we all kind of participate in it. And we ensure by participating in it that it continues. You know, you, you made some really interesting points for me to, to ask you uh, follow-up questions on. It, it sounds like that women are, have been put into a place because of the threat of violence, um, accepting the unacceptable, whether it's economic position for a job or it's, it's uh, taking something less than what they are trained or qualified for, um, or in some cases just because I want to have feelings of intimacy and passion, I'll accept the unacceptable. It permeates every element of, of how we engage the world and how people expect us to engage the world. So is it, is it just about, I mean, I know as a, as a man and as, as a father, a husband, I, I want to try to be better at understanding the triggers and understanding the, the, the touchstones of awareness with, because um, I look, at, I deal with female athletes all the time. I've advocated for female athletes that that wanted their their gender orientation was was not acceptable, and they, so they hit it, and they didn't perform as well as they they should have. But at the same time, not performing where they could have, they still were excelling very very high because of that. So, what do I do as a 
as a male carry to unleash the potential of the female, but I'm not sure how to do it, how to say it, how to address the topic. Well, you have to understand that by the point you're receiving them in your world, they've been socialized. Oh, yeah. You're not getting us fresh off, you know, out of the oven, right? Like, yeah. We're, we are beaten down, shamed, wounded. And, you know, what I would say to any man that's looking to work with women and, and help elevate is to understand those mechanisms. Do not think that you are going to somehow change things overnight. Um, do the work to understand what can neutralize those disadvantages. The disadvantage of being told not to speak up, not to speak loudly, not to know your body well or, you know, take great joy in what it can do for you as an athlete. I guess women were very much taught to be disconnected from our bodies um, in a way that men aren't. And um, it, it definitely would catch up with you as an athlete. When you're getting athletes that you're trying to get high performance from, and that's, that's the work between the brain and the body. Um, and having kind of reckless abandon with your body is part of being a really great athlete, right? Yeah. And so uh, if we are taught that we cannot have that in most realms, and then we're expected to learn it or express it, excuse me, express it, in this one venue, it's kind of a really, a really big ask. So if you're asking women to entrust you and guide, guiding them and getting them to perform, you have to do the legwork to understand the barriers they're dealing with, and then find find the place that you know you can with your skill set. Yeah. Coach them, provide them a thing they haven't get, gotten. You're not going to be an expert on gender-based violence. You're not going to be an expert on, yeah. you know inequities. And then there's also the layers. Let's talk, it's not just women, the intersectional, when we talk about intersectionality, right, and policy and approaches. Then there's, you know, women of color. There are LGBTQ um, women and women who are, you know, gender uh, fluid or transgender women. Like, there's this whole gamut of women that experience the world unequally as women and then unequally as women of color. And you, as a single, as this one person, cannot approach all of that. But you can do the work to find out to how to neutralize that suffering, to get your message across, to get them to put that aside and have great joy in whatever you're trying to teach them. That enhances something that they love. If they're playing sport, it's an escape, and I'm going to hope they're there because they love it. And that you can give them the tools to really. Um, kind of have a safe space, and I love that word, but a safe space to kind of set all those other things aside and have reckless abandon and love for what they're doing. And I'm going to I'm gonna ask you to think about the term own the space rather than safe, because if they own it, it's safe. They've made the choice to be there and be present. But I'm also going to ask you about the intersectionality you talked about. Um, too often I hear these comments about well, you know, those women of color, they're really loud. That's the angry black woman coming out of them. And I go, stop it. Stop doing that. Because it's all women are facing the same issues. All women have the potential to be loud and aggressive if they're pursuing what they want. They're speaking their voice. Let them have their voice in that space. Well, but these are all the different things we place on women. Um, we want you here, but you can't be too loud. You can't yeah. be too this. You can't be too masculine. You can't be too this. Like, it's this very narrow, and the more layers on top of that, that other you, 
you push it in such a, I mean, yeah, you can't. It's hard to move. You, yeah. you, you don't get to engage in the world, you know, the way everyone else does. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk about the world from the standpoint of intersectionality and economics. Recent sure. recent labor numbers have come out, and the other piece that's shown very uh, dramatically is the disproportionality between men and women in that unemployment number. Women are large, large portion of that. I, I don't even have a percentage, but it's it's definitely better than fifty percent of that unemployment number is women based. And yeah. what's also very interesting when you dissect that unemployment up into careers and positions, it's right. it's not executive level positions. No. It's not even managerial levels. It's it's staff and labor and, yeah, and not, service. Yeah. So it's all hospitality. So so what you know what what people tell you about do this work and I'm not an economist. <laughs> I just uh, try to promote the work of them. Yeah. Um, they would say that two thousand eight recession was an demand session, you know, that was it affected white collar, um, the financial sector, um, you know, the, the industries that were impacted. Um when you look at this one, um, because of the closure of schools and daycare, um, because we have such a terrible childcare infrastructure, which is to say it's horribly overpriced, inaccessible to most people. The people working there are hardly paid at all. When those, when those shut down and, and go under, parents now have children at home and they can't do their jobs and they're making tough decisions. Um, and what it brought to bear was, so the folks, Agility of our childcare infrastructure, but also of gender roles and gender expectations and, and the pay gap, right? So who in the in a two-person heterosexual household typically is earning less money? And this is where all these like systemic issues come to play, and they all kind of join together for this like massive, horrible unemployment, you know, explosion. And so the people, the industries that were impacted by this, you know, the concept of labor segmentation and sex segregation that women tend to be forced into caretaking roles that men men are not growing up saying oh I want to be a preschool teacher I want to be a daycare worker um, I want to work with um, elderly you know I want to I want to be a home care nurse no we we encourage women and girls to go that route and then we pay them less because then we undervalue the work because it's something that women do mostly. I mean, you'll find that most work that women do expressly, like older index in doing work, it's paid the least. And so it, it is just completely snowballed. We tend to also, um, because of restrictions on, you know, the expense of college and, and you know, getting a degree, because uh, many women of color, um, black women, especially um, lack of intergenerational wealth, you know, um, that there's no pot of money just to rely on, that there's this huge burden of uh, cost to go to get that degree. We say, well, if you don't have a degree, then you can never expect to earn a lot. And then if you're a woman, you're going to earn less. And then if you're a black woman, well, then you're going to earn even less. And it just, so this pandemic has really come to bear all those intersecting factors and, and, you know, it's going to take a very long time to get out of it and very bold actions to get us out of it. I like the fact that the pandemic has brought us to a sense of awareness of pulling the curtain back uh, so that we have to look at it. So I'm going to ask you this question about a, a woman, a female that, that says to you, I don't get it. I don't understand why they're, they're always complaining about their role as a caregiver and as a wife or a spouse. You know, I don't get it. I don't have any problem at all with that. 
So there, there's this there's lack of empathy towards female effort in the areas that are causing problems. These, so you're saying by women to women, like women yeah, are what, what do you say to that woman who doesn't get it? Well, it's hard. You know, you try to get, you, I, I find that, and, and especially in the world of white women, right, uh, proximity to power is, is how, you, how you navigate successfully in the world. You get a lot farther as a white woman if you co-sign on kind of the status quo. Because the status quo will spit you out, chew you up and spit you out if you if you reject it. Yeah. So uh, that's a lesson that white women learn. I can say that you know you learn that, and so it's uh, it's really hard because it's pretty like uh, institutionalized, uh, and you know because we still have you know uh, the most economic power, the most you know all the different traditional markers. Of you know um, of power in this country, uh, a that's something people don't want to give up. They don't want to self reflect that they participated, uh, or accept that it's 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 not by you know it's not just by your elbow grease and you know your can be attitude that there's all these other factors. Um, so I would try to connect with that woman and try to say to her like. Is your experience representative of everyone? Like, where is the compassion? That's a good you know, question. Do you care about, like, are you not compassionate for people? Can you understand that people have different experiences? Who do you say this to a woman that is a single mom that is struggling because she has no care and she's trying to work but she can't get to her job because there's no one to watch these children? Like, like, try to kind of appeal on that level, but, you know, some people just aren't willing to go there. They're just not. And... I think you put more of the effort into actually working with the people that want to change things. So is, is media helping staying still or hindering the messaging that we want people to see examples of that raise us up and give us a better posturing with women issue, women's issues? Well, I mean, right now they've done a great, there's some really great outlets like 19th Amendment News that just was created to really say, like, the mainstream media is not doing a deep enough dive. And, and our expectations, you know, we have to understand the AP wire, for example, is not deep dive. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, you know, you go to different places for different things. Um, and there's an outlet like Prism, which covers um, issues, uh, you know, economic and technology issues, um, women and women of color, like to make sure that their voices in that particular, the people writing about it live the experience, know what to ask, and and understand that it's an underserved market. So. There are media outlets that are coming now that are their own niche, you would say, or actually attempting to to kind of fill that gap. Um, but we're so fragmented in the media market. We are so our attention span is so short. The advent of social media has done that to us. Our, our addiction to staring at our phones the whole time. Uh, you can go get information anywhere you want, as we have just witnessed as a country. Uh, some places are more legitimate than others, um, and you can spend a whole day getting news and never actually getting news, you know? Uh, so when it comes to matters of women, um, some outlets are doing a great job. Some are doing within the limitations of what their uh, their charge is as an outlet, and then some have no interest in it. Um, and what you consume is, is your choice, but there are outlets doing the work. I mean, I've seen it because I'm pitching them. So speak to me about those. We're going to take a bit of an infomercial break then. Sure. Share with the audience <clears throat> where information that you know is legit, that you control or you participate in greatly, where can they get that 
those stories, that, that insight from as it relates to the contacts that you have? What are some of those contacts? Well, I would say Atlantis is, is, is really just created, um, I want to say it's in July, about you know, women's suffrage, women's right to vote. Yep. Um, it's a bunch of like star-studded writers and editors. I think that came out of the Texas Tribune. But the 19th news, Emily Rackshaw, um, Ramshaw, she, she, um, you know, is the founder of that. So I look at that. I look at Prism, you know, as a source. Um, and then I would look at uh, kind of your standard bearers for, you know, deeper dives. Um, the Atlantic, the you know, uh, these kind of longer thought pieces. Um, I think. Uh, any websites? Yeah, any, any, any websites? Huh? Any websites that you have contact with? Uh, well, I mean, there's Huffington, and there's Bustle, there's Refinery Twenty Nine. There's That's a lot of websites that cover. Yeah, I mean, Fast Company has a great uh, section online for uh, like women rule breakers, women who are doing great things. Yep. Uh, you know, so a lot of a lot of places that are even like you wouldn't think Fast Company would be totally intuitive, but they are understanding. You can go read, you know, Lean In has a blog and does a bunch of things, you know, Cheryl Sandberg's group. Um, there's there's no shortage. You, know, you have to do the work. If you're talking mainstream, uh, you know, there's people that cover this, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Washington Post has the Lily, which is yeah. a whole section on women's issues. So there's so no shortage. What I've, what I've given you is a, a setup to the, the confusion that you mentioned. You have social media, and you... You rambled off a list of many wonderful sites, but that in itself, because you are the qualified person, you're studying it, you're in the midst of it, it's, it's something of a real strong relevancy to you because you want to help others get there. But then we've got that deposable thumb crowd, that majority yeah. of young women and girls that because of that disposed attitude mindset, they want something quick. So they, yeah. they tend to look at a, a series on cable, or they go to a network show like the Blackishes of the world, which are great stuff. It's it's showing some good things. But right. is there anything? Can, can you bullet focus in on something that for that that teen that's in their high school that may or may not be an athlete, but both athlete and non-athlete are still facing the same issues and concerns as a young female? Is there a, is there a a laser focused place you would want to recommend them to go to? I'm gonna have to think about that one. I think I think here's the thing. Yeah. Teaching people critical reading. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm like there's no band aid for that young girl you just asked me That's about. That's a tourniquet, yeah. Because it's one site and one moment like critical reading skills, understanding you know, there's this thing called the media bias chart that comes out every year. Mm -hmm. And it explains um you know, puts on a chart, most extreme left, hyper-partisan left, you know, skews left, middle ground, skews right, hyper-partisan, and it, it puts out, it kind of plots out, I don't know if you, but it kind of like plots out. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I'll send it to you, but all the outlets, so you can actually see, oh, you know, the New York Post is actually skews right, the AP is right down the middle, Reuters, you know, if you're an educator, if you're someone, you know, if you're a parent, yeah. and you're trying to get your child to understand critical or you yourself, you know, what, what's a source that they can say, this is actually vetted upon standards, ethics standards that journalists, like trained journalists use, that there's double vetting sourcing, you know, that it's not just opinion, you know. Um, the critical reading skills is the most important thing you can give young people. 
Uh, and also probably civics lessons. They understand how our government works would be nice. Um, Please, you're overwhelming the minds of the humanity. Come on. <laughs> Critical thinking and, and what? Data mining? Are you, are you kidding? You know, there's not one site I would give young women because uh, they're not monolith, right? So if the young gal that's in, you know, middle class, uh, you know, Midwest versus inner city versus single parent household versus whatever, there's no one place they're going to go. You want them to at least have the skills that so no matter where they go, they can somehow vet. Like, this, this makes sense. Or this kind of sounds like vulgar. This, you know, this sounds a little skewed. You know, this is opinion piece versus this is actually like straight up news reporting. I think that's more relevant because well, there's not going to be one place that serves everyone. You, 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 you followed right into my segue into giving me exactly what I wanted because the issues of educating are prevalent to the the, the, the pathway to a solution. We, we, we need to educate them. We need to give them critical thinking skills. We need to teach them about the civic responsibilities you have in creating structure that allows everybody access. Like, for example, with the internet, with the pandemic, shine a huge light on the fact we don't have access to everybody who needs it. Not to mention free lunches. If you're a free lunch kid, you're not going to get your lunch because of the pandemic, you can't get it. There are so many people food insecure right now. Mm. It, it, there were so many decisions. Here's the thing about not thinking, you know, I get that sometimes a one-size-fits-all approach has to happen when you have to try to stem something massive. I get that. But the work that could have been done before we had a pandemic, you know, in any, any country, most countries are going through this, that there was no thought about that you should probably shore up those programs, that you should make sure that domestic violence centers are better staffed and, you know, hospital staff are better prepared because we shut all these things down, sent people, locked them in their homes. Domestic violence rates are jumping. You know, they're doubling. At MDRDC, in the first two months, you know, of March when that pandemic happened, the number of sexual assault um cases in, in a DV, uh, you know, domestic violence, interpersonal violence situation were double. And so sexual violence within a marriage or interpersonal relationship is an indicator of mortality. Yeah. So, um, and there was no extra money provided to these centers, no extra staffing, nothing in advance. So people that were being abused were locked in their homes with nowhere to go. Kids that need school or places to get their meals had nowhere to go to get the food. You know, so... You know, what I'm trying to say is that there is this bigger, um, there's a bigger get that we need to do systemically so that when something like this happens, it doesn't, we don't tank in the way that we have. <laughs> it's not, you know, there aren't people suffering on these multiple levels. Um, some of it's really needless. Yeah, and you're touching on something that in, simpl in a simplistic way I say to my, my players, I say, um, plan, prepare, and perform. And you can apply that to almost anything. In, in this case, we have we did not plan or extend the plan that was in place from prior administrations about the pandemic. So we let PPE get depleted. And so our preparations, no matter how good they may have been, we didn't have anything to allow us to perform with. Now, with that being said, going forward with those plans, whatever they might be, and the critical thinking that's required to implement them, um, it comes. It brings us back to that power and privilege dynamic, whether it's male-female, male-male, female-female. 
a pandemic brought it very clear to our public attention that when you have that stressor uh, there, you have violence against anybody who's weaker <laughs> because the stronger is frustrated. The stronger has not been given the, the pathway to handle the emotion, manage the situation, because we didn't have a plan or, or preparation to implement that those performance strategies. So well, it's, it's, a, it's a power dynamic. Well, it's not strong and weak. It's a power dynamic, and and yeah. So I want to I want to take you to a more a not, it's going to not be superficial, but more that that body identity kind of area, because that's that's a trigger point that I want your thoughts on for our audience, especially the women, girls and women that are listening, uh, to, to to have you talk about what did you do when somebody looked at your musculature, your shaping and forming of your body as an athlete and diminished it because you were a woman. Right. It happens so much. Like, it, Well, first of all, it's not even that they're looking at my body. They're just pissed <laughs> that I'm there. That I'm there. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's really a social ordering. It's a, it's a you dare to upend the thing that we say we kind of own. You know, and so it's not even that they're looking at my musculature. They just, you know, they're just not happy I'm there. Um, they have just declared that this is a space that they own, um, which is ridiculous. If you look through the history of the world, you know, look back at the Greek athletes, look back at Sparta. Like, look at the women that were, you know, look at, uh, there's just so many, the women have always been so capable. And then suddenly, in like the modern era, we're not. Um, so it's a, it happens multiple, multiple, hundreds and thousands of times to any woman, girl, or beta, anyone who's an athlete that's not your traditional male, right? Um, and it happens in these, these other ways of like, oh, well, you're good for a girl. Or like, she's a good basketball player, but she's a girl basketball player. Like, there's all these little violent, they call them microaggressions, but it's just like these little pinpricks, like death by like mm -hmm. a thousand like paper cuts. That um, you're constantly being told you're less than, um, and so I can say for the time that I was actually physically attacked, like in 2008, that would let, led this person to believe that, like he absolutely thought, oh, of course I'm going to subdue her. She's a mere woman, like yeah. if, you know, she is a mere woman. He could look past my size, which when you see me, I'm five ten and change. When I'm in heels or just boots, I'm like about six feet, and I'm pretty broad-shouldered. So like, you better be pretty confident to be like, I'm gonna subdue her, you know. Um, and I think he got that way because of, like I said, the way everyone socializes. Like, a woman, a woman possibly like, couldn't possibly, you know, fend me off. She couldn't possibly um, neutralize me or harm me. And I did all those things, and no one was more surprised than he was. I I was very like I was very like oh I'm gonna I'm going to get out of this situation. But to see um, a man that is routinely violent against women, so he, you could tell he had this whole thing down quite quite well by the time he crossed my path. Um, generally surprised that he can subdue me. It's it's not just in that moment. It's what he said about his entire worldview, and and then the response to it by people in the public. Is it said like they couldn't believe it? And Karen, isn't there an emotional component in addition to the physical power? I mean, that's like he, there's there's nothing in his mind was I'm not gonna I am gonna get by with this. She's just sort of subdued. 
what you realize in that moment, they don't see you as a person. Yeah. We always say about perpetrators, we can't educate them out of it because it's about equity. Yeah. It's about actually seeing women as your equal. You do not attack the thing that you see as your equal. You know, like this football player in Seattle who strangles his girlfriend almost to death, which yeah. is a very high indicator that the next time he will succeed if she does happen to go back to him. Everyone said, well, he's he's expressed mental illness, he's had whatever. But then why hasn't he tried to choke his coach? Has he tried to choke a teammate his size? Has he tried to choke a cop walking down the street? Who did he choke? Someone who physically felt he could dominate and someone he felt he, he was superior to. Because otherwise we would have a whole bunch of dead bodies in this country of men of equal size from other men. But it always ends up being women at a disproportionate rate. You know, I'm glad you brought up that example because it, it goes to other systems that need to be as aware as what we're talking about for the individuals. Systems like healthcare systems, mental health care systems, because that young man, whether it was calculated or not, they say he's bipolar. And that's the rationale for why he took the action that he did. Then he was asked the question, were you on meds? He says, I wasn't taking any, medic any medications. Okay, fine. So you were at one time, you had a script, but you chose not to take it. And then a therapist says, well, that's not uncommon for bipolar patients because once they think that they feel better, they stop. Because, but, sure. that's, but that's not what the meds are supposed to do. So what do you do how fair that is to people that have bipolar that don't go Oh, no kidding. Their partners, you know, and so it's really... People who do this do it across the gamut. They're not just people suffering from bipolar. They're not just the people who do this have a problem seeing women as deserving of the behavior they themselves deserve expect for themselves. So do we need to do a better job with mental health care systemic processes in we have always needed to do better okay. on mental health. Like, you know, a lot of the people that are living without homes you know, a lot of uh, go without mental health care, and we have an appalling history on how we treat people who, who have, um, you know, uh, different challenges, you know, of that ill. But what I can go back to is the underpinning of all this is that guy, through, through his whole life, the message we pound every day to everyone, men, women, girls, boys, they, them, that men are at the top of the heap, that there is no equity, that women's work is worth less money, that sports are less, that athletes are worth being paid less, that you don't get those marketing dollars. The ones making the decision about us getting the marketing dollars are men. Like, you can watch where they put their money, where they put their money excels. You know, so money doesn't care. Money just wants a home. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I've, wa I've watched this sports I watched a soccer team in Atlanta. It sold out in the first year. Soccer team. For women's sports, can't like, you know, women invest millions, they will come. We build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, so there's just, there is a, a, a whole system at play here. The U.S. is not uh, unique. It is the world over. There is not a statistic you will find that will show women are ahead financially, safety wise, you know, economically, socially. It's just varying degrees of horrible. 
And what do you see, you know, when you look at these um, incidents of, uh, instances of women as leaders, like New Zealand, right? Is yep. Jacinda, I want to say her name is? Uh, um, yeah. I think so. Yeah, she, yeah, so you're finding that women's leadership is actually bringing about quite a lot of high markers for success, like even in managing the pandemic, in managing conflict, managing, you know, economic matters. Um, that there's a different way, that the way women have been socialized might actually be a better way, um, or might be a different way that we should explore. Uh, but there's very rarely the opportunity for us to try that. We just, we go back to the same thing. The same thing is the male perspective, the male accepted way of behaving in the workplace is what's acceptable. You know, we, we, um, we socialize girls to cry and, and say it's okay to cry. You can be this. You can be that. We shut boys down. Yeah. We tell girls this, and then girls get in the workplace. And what's the first thing? There's no crying in work. There's no this in work. So your normal reaction to being yelled at, disappointed, all the things that you're told are like totally okay to do are suddenly cut off, and then you are judged harshly for actually being the person you were encouraged to be expressing actually a healthy thing which is emotion and it's it's completely neutered you know the further you go off the corporate ladder because the corporate ladder is run from a male perspective so i don't have a lot to say on this i'm probably rambling but what i'm telling you is there's that case in seattle is more emblematic of the entire entirety of seeing women as just less worthy of a lot of living well, of safety, of being recognized as an equal partner. Well, it's a personification, and with that aggressiveness of that case, it gives us a way to examine the right way to go about it if, we're, if we've got the courage to change it. And the courage, for example, with change is represented this, this Sunday when we've got two assistant coaches for the Buccaneers who are women. One of them, and both of them are defensive coaches, one of one of them is is in her forties and didn't start getting into football until she until her late thirties when she played at the uh, semi pro level as a woman and and you know their stories are great and wonderful but they are also examples of what we're talking about the the duality of of necessity a block is a block. And if a woman knows you how to, book, how to teach you to block, then that's a block. So is a guy. Yeah, that's a man. That's like Bethany Hammond. Yeah. What Greg Popovich has discovered, and he's, he's, the problem is, like, he's kind of upending the whole, like, man card thing, like, the whole, like, uh, shh, don't tell them. The secret he's kind of saying, this is a bunch of bunk, is like, you know what? There's no reason she can't do what I do. There's really no reason. It was a completely artificially constructed reason that a woman could not step in and tell a bunch of men how to run up A to B, up and down the court. And anyone who saw her play in college, I was one who went to go to her matches. My parents lived out there. What does she not know about basketball? Why is she suddenly, like, why would she not be qualified? Why would these women not be able to coach? What is so proprietary about that they can't do it. That yeah. men can come coach all sorts of women's sports. The disarming, the disarming part coaching. that men bring into the equation, Carrie, is that they would say to, say to Coach Ham, they'd say, well, she's not strong enough emotionally to handle it. Well, here's an example of that. I was at a practice where she was in control of the practice, and it was one of the first weeks that she was actually in control of practices during preseason, and uh, Pop was there, and all of a sudden, Pop starts walking towards the sideline when she was in a confrontation, and she didn't talk to the hand routine. 
to pop. Shoot, no, shoot the top and stop him in his tracks. Because again, where has where has uh, you know look at how the NFL how people respond to players that come forth and say I have mental health issues. I'm struggling with depression. There's no safe landing for them. No. So what is it getting them to have coaches that scream at them and have a system that gives them no place to actually be people? What does that give us societally, setting those people out into the the regular public? But what we're asking of these men to do in their jobs, the NFL is their job. And we're saying at your job, you are not allowed to be. We do the same thing in the military. You know, Uh, yes, there's all these programs, but, you know, someone says they've got depression and, you know, they're stripped of whatever, you know, their uh, ability to fly their plane longer than they expected. There's a punishing part of actually saying, I need help. I'm not, I'm not what you want. This whole thing, it doesn't work for me. This whole being immune to pain or suffering, you know. So you, the thing with women is, you know, I hate that they have to adopt that style. Yeah. Because I, I think men would flourish if they actually had Maybe a different style? There are, there are, I've been a part of examples where that is the case, but they don't get a lot of public air because of it. So let me let me give you a case that's real, that's happened, as an example for us to continue to talk about some of the things we've discussed as far as strategy, and that's the WNBA. Sue Bird, a leader in the WNBA, not just as a player on her team in Seattle, but just a leader. Um, she has her, Yeah, and, and she and her partner... She, her partner has her issues with the economics of soccer, and Sue has her issues with the economics of women's basketball. So the ED, the executive director, who is a woman of color for the women's uh, NBA, uh, WNBA, they had a huge negotiation last summer before the, this current season happened where they were looking for more money. Well, who, who controls that ultimately economically? Who controls the WNBA? The NBA. So she went up against... The ED went up against that whole male deal. But what was interesting is the Players Association, and they were united, like most Players Associations should be, in representing the, the membership, whereas you don't have that same thing true with the MLB. You don't have the same thing with the NFLPA. They're getting better, but as an example. So what what have, what have would you, what about that example, that negotiate? Because they got their money. They basically got their money. What about that do we need to continue to show women that, look, at you can do this, but it takes this courage of uni- beyond what you already have as courageous to unite and really just push it. I saw her do it, the ED, in negotiation with the NBA executives and said, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You- well, I think seizing on the moment that we're in right now and there's no not a better time oh gosh yes yeah you know I, so there's that the 10 years ago i wouldn't have said that even five years ago uh the accountability and you know you have leaders in the on the men's side that they see the quality of athletes they know someone's got game they, they, you know that's the garbage of it it's the fans that come up with all this oh well, you know i don't want to watch women's sports i want to do this and then you've got like lebron sitting there watching <laughs> these women play and they're not he's not there to just like bs he, what they say, real, recognize real, right? Like, you see the Olympics all the time, right? But there's this, like, construct in certain sports, and I think the NBA is actually quite progressive. They really, you know, they understand, um, and they've really, uh, in, a, in a genuine, authentic way, taken on a lot of these social justice issues, and really at a root of social justice issues are those intersectional things I was telling you mm-hmm. about, right? 
So women being discriminated against is very familiar to black men being discriminated against, which is very familiar to, you know, there's, yeah. so there's like this kind of under in suffering when you go to these other sports that, you know, maybe baseball or whatever, that they don't, they haven't experienced it or their, their leadership doesn't accept that as something that they should be tracking on or whatever. Um, so the ED, yes, but she also was in the best place possible, I think, to actually do what she did. I think the NFL, like, she would have been... And Sam Rappaport has done a ton of work at the NFL to get women into scouting and to coaching, and to her credit, but she's in a very narrow space there, and they're still going... The NFL's going to stay traditional, you know, to the, as the last person, you know, says, well, oh, and, I, mean, I want change. We have a female official at the game on Sunday. Right. So, I mean, but how long? I, again, what is so special about officiating that a woman could not have possibly done it before 2021? Oh, and, and, and that's what I would like to see more publish, publication on is that the struggle. Why did we have to wait so long? What's so special about that that a woman qualified with the rules and, and being able to run up and down the field and throw a flag and blow a whistle couldn't have done? Right. And the, the secret's out. There's nothing. Yeah, it exactly. just looks like discomfort, you're entering my space, you know, we launched a women's brand at ESPN years ago, ESPNW. I, I think I had PTSD from that experience, because <laughs> it was so, we were so proud, we worked so hard on it, like, we were all former athletes, like, this is not about what manicure to get, or how to have a nice booty, you know, like, this is literally about, like, post-athlete life, the things that actually were relevant to us, you know, as sports fans, and you know, what we want to know about, uh, you know, the athletes we're, we're co-signing on, you know. Um, their reaction for men and women was some women who, the women that are always like, oh, I don't need any special treatment. You know, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, I've never had a problem with men. Like, those women, they always show up. Like, they're never freaking late. They are always on time, unfortunately. Um, but this reaction of women entering this, men feel they only ESPN. Men, oh. so they own ESPN and they own sports. They own sports, so we're going to tell you how you can engage. And you're 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 going too far here, women, with your you know your uh, the the pussification of, uh, <laughs> of ESPN, the pinkification, the pink ghetto, the pink glitter ghetto. I mean, the names were just it was ridiculous. Uh, you know, everyone's, um, you know, just very derogatory. Of course they attack LGBT, they go right to the, you know, the most obvious places, um, that they try to say women, you know, you're a woman, you're not a woman. Like, yeah, just pick a, pick a phobia that I can dig on. Right. And so again, with the officiating, you know, all that, it's, it's just the idea that, oh, we own this space. And because we own this space, we become officiate your game. Because we own sports. Carrie, we're going to do this again um, on, on, and dig deeper into some other, other things. We're coming close to the end of today's time with each other. Um, I can't stop talking. I'm sorry. I just have a lot to no, say. No, but I, I want you to, please. I love that. You know, it's, it's the interviewer's worst nightmare to ask a question and it's a dead silence. So yeah, you're, that'll never happen. you're a blessing for me to have. But the thing is, look, you, you speak from a foundation of knowledge that's more than just books. And that's yeah. that's a reality and a practicality that I want to make sure that I continue with, that I try to give everybody every week uh, about what we do here. Um, and it's every Friday, by the way, at 11 o'clock, streaming live at KUHSDenver.com. I'm just saying. But we're also uh, letting you know that if, if you want a friend to listen to the show and you love what we talked about today, it's on Spotify. 
Just look up 360 Performance on Spotify Podcasts or iTunes Podcasts for the same thing, 360 Performance. And you'll see Carrie Potts' name up there along with mine about what we talked about today. I hope you'll share that with them. If you have any questions for me or Carrie, send them out to 360mindset.com. That's my website. And just type in a question. We'll get back to you as soon as I can. And if I can't answer it, I'll give it over to Carrie. Um, and you'll get a few pages worth of response. But, you know, you'll get through it. It's critical reading. You need to do that. You need to learn about those kind of things. So, Carrie, in, in finishing up, what is it that you would like our audience to take away from today that's going to enlighten them and move them towards actions that really make a difference in the lives of women? The limitations we place on women are of our own making. And there are also limitations we place on men. So putting limitations on women's participation in society affects men's participation in society. It's not, uh, it's not that there are adversaries. It's not that I hate men. You know, I'm talking about very specific contexts here. Um, but, you know, it's a group effort. And the way women exist in the world, the challenges they have are not of their doing. And it's not for them to solve on their own. Because if we could have solved these things, they have been haunting us for decades. Low pay, low safety, high, high death rates in DUE. If women could solve it, we would have. We don't want these things. So there's a bigger issue at large. And I would encourage you to find whatever entry point you can. If you're really interested in helping or learning more, find whatever place is your entry point and, and then, you know, be curious enough to, to find out. Don't let me be the point. Let somebody else, like one thing, an athlete you like, a situation you're curious about, a stat you read. Um, there's a lot to learn and it's a lifetime of learning. Like I'm still learning every day. How can, so people, start. How can people get in touch with you if they want to? Reach out to you. I'm at a fight back woman, all one word, smushed together, a fight back woman at gmail.com. And I have a site of fightbackwoman.com. And I talk about my story fighting back against the first thing part of me and to try to teach people these other lessons that, you know, permeate every other aspect of my life and, you know, our daily lives. You're delighted, Carrie Potts. You're always speaking truths that I love to hear about and keeps me um, humbled and informed about what's the right way to go. So thank you so much for today. Um, stick with me for a minute as I close out. Everybody, have a great day today. Enjoy the weather here in Colorado. A little cool, but blue skies and sunshine. Have a good one. Talk to you next week.